0: Have you ever wondered why children won't stop asking if we're there yet? The answer is that boredom is often connected to our sense of time passing or not passing. And as we grow, time seems to speed up, the years flitting by without a pause. So how does our sense of time come about? Today's sponsor, the MIT Press, just published a book by Mark Whitman that seeks to explain all of this. It's called Felt Time, The Psychology of How We Perceive Time. And you should go to mitpress.com slash smart to read more about it. That's mitpress.com slash smart. Welcome to the You Are Not So Smart podcast, episode 74. This is the sixth episode in a series of episodes, a season of episodes all about logical fallacies. Mm, 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 mm. Yes, 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 yes. Logical fallacies. If you haven't heard the earlier episodes, we covered what logical fallacies are, how they work, and then we talked about the fallacy fallacy, the no true Scotsman fallacy, the Texas sharpshooter fallacy, the black and white fallacy, and the straw man fallacy. Our three experts in those episodes who helped us understand those fallacies were Barbara Drescher, Mike Rugnetta, and Jesse Richardson. And if you listen to those episodes, you are now fully prepared to join me as we level up, move forward, and go deeper into a new batch of logical fallacies with three new experts as our guides. Our new experts, please introduce yourselves.
1: I'm Vanessa Hill. I'm the writer and host of BrainCraft, which is a PBS Digital Studios series on psychology, neuroscience, and why you act the way you do. You can find BrainCraft on YouTube mainly. Uh, just type in brain. Craft, or you might say that like craft. Uh, <laughs> maybe depends where you come
2: from. So I'm Julia Galef. I a few years ago I co-founded this nonprofit called the Center for Applied Rationality. Our mission is to to develop and then educate people in strategies for overcoming cognitive biases, noticing fallacies in yourself, um, and basically achieving self-improvement through rationality. I Have my own podcast called Rationally Speaking. Um, in which I focused on applying concepts from psychology and philosophy and statistics to everyday life.
3: I'm Bob Blaskowitz. I'm an assistant professor of critical thinking at Stockton University. Uh, I, well, I, I teach students how to basically uh, read and think, um, uh, to consider things like context and um, evidence uh, as they prepare for college life.
0: And together, they are going to help us understand the begging the question fallacy. Now, you've likely used or heard someone use this phrase, begging the question, something like that begs the question or which begs the question in response to some statement, like maybe you're planning to go on a vacation and you say to your partner, you know, we're going to be away for two weeks, which begs the question, who's going to feed and water our pygmy possums while we're gone? Or you might hear in a news report. Virtual reality headsets are now available for the general consumer, which begs the question, are we entering a new era in home entertainment? In both of those examples, no one is actually begging the question. They're just raising questions, or even more simply, they're just asking a question, which raises the question, how did this phrase get scrambled? And by the way, the misuse is likely here to stay and can't be stopped at this point much like the word literally has now come to literally mean the opposite of literally. Well, this original phrase, begging the question, it comes from a mistranslation of a mistranslation of Aristotle. I found several sources on this, my favorite being an awesome website called Language Log, which you can find at languagelog.net. I'll have a link to their breakdown in the show notes for this episode. In their breakdown, Mark Lieberman, says the mistranslation came from Aristotle describing the fallacy as asking the original point or assuming the original point. But when you translate ask from Greek into Latin, you can choose the word ask or beg or demand. And Mark says that later on, when medieval translators were sort of trying to figure out what's the best way to say it, they reduced the phrase to something simpler, petitio principiae. Because in classical Latin, "petitio" is a postulate, that's something you've been postulating, and principiae is the original principle. So the new translation became something like postulating the original principle. And that's all well and good, but as language log explains, starting around 1581, people began replacing that word postulate with beg, because the older version of this word meant to request. And apparently some people prefer this older version of the meaning, but not the older version of the word. And so they changed it to begging instead of postulating. And language log, I know this is weird. Language log goes on to say that the word question also changed. What once was used in phrases like the question at hand or the subject in question or the principle in question has also mutated over the years to the more common way we use it today. And taken together, starting sometime in the 1600s, The misuse and borrowing of this phrase by people who were not thinking of logical fallacies or Aristotle or Latin entered our common language. So, in its original usage as a logical fallacy, what does the phrase begging the question truly mean? That is what we're going to find out right after this break. My name is David McCraney. This is the You Are Not So Smart podcast. And after this very short commercial break, three experts will break down... The Begging the Question Fallacy. I've made a lot of websites over the years, sometimes from scratch, sometimes using a supposedly simple program or online tool, but nothing has ever compared to the ease of use, the simplicity, the elegance of Squarespace. Squarespace is always what I recommend to people wanting to make a website for their portfolio or anything else from a restaurant to a band or a product. If I wanted to make a website just for these logical fallacy episodes, and I'm thinking I might do that, I would use Squarespace because when you make something with them, you know it will look professionally designed regardless of how much you know about coding or Photoshop or design or APIs or anything else. But if you do know about that stuff, you can make something killer quickly and easily. And with Squarespace, you get a free domain if you sign up for a year. Start your free trial today at squarespace.com. And when you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure that you use this offer code, so smart, to get 10% off of your first purchase. And to show your support for the You Are Not So Smart podcast, we thank Squarespace for their support of You Are Not So Smart. They've sponsored us for several years now. So I think you should go to squarespace.com and use that offer code, so smart, to get 10% off. And now we return to our program. My name is David McCraney. This is the You Are Not So Smart podcast. And in this episode we're discussing begging the question.
2: Like many people, I have trouble remembering the, the official definition for begging the question because it's such a weird, awkward phrase um, that, uh, that the, the meaning doesn't sort of naturally stick to it in my head. But when I'm thinking carefully, I remember that begging the question is when you're making an argument for a claim, but the argument itself only holds if the claim is true. So it's a form of circular reasoning. I think begging the
1: question is a circular argument or circular reasoning, if you're into reasoning. So Mm -hmm. what you do or what happens when people commit this fallacy is they introduce the conclusion in one of the premises. So the conclusion is just assumed to be true because you have already stated it.
3: It's a logical fallacy that you commit when you're conclusion is also a premise
1: so if i say to you everyone is watching making a murderer because it's the most popular tv show of the year (laughs) all right like why is everyone doing that everyone (laughs) is watching is the same as it being the most popular tv show of the year so really i have given you no reason whatsoever
2: (laughs)
0: That's that's such a good example.
1: Yeah, but it it sounds like it's a sound statement. Like you Uh could write that in an article. You could read it somewhere. Everyone's watching it because it's the most popular TV show. But what? That doesn't make sense.
3: One that many teachers have heard. uh, Let's say it's the last week of uh, the semester and a student who you haven't seen since the first week of the semester comes up to you and says, I'm graduating this weekend, so you need to pass me. Well, okay, (laughs) okay, hold on. Your graduation depends on me passing you, which is what you're trying to convince me I should do. So the assertion that you're graduating, which you're offering as evidence that I should pass you, assumes that you've passed your classes, including
0: mine. Right? It's, it's <laughs> not you- a – Yeah. I hope you've said that to someone's face and they're like, oh, I need to go back to... to,
2: Yeah, (laughs) yeah, maybe if you were
0: here all semester, you'd have picked up on that, (laughs) you know?
2: Well, begging the question comes up a lot in political contexts uh, where people have strongly held views and they don't have a ton of practice making logically well-constructed arguments. So their attempts to explain their views often end up being circular, um, which doesn't mean they're wrong necessarily, just that they're not arguing well. So uh, some examples of political arguments that I think fit this bill are uh, abortion is wrong because it's taking an innocent life, which presupposes that the fetus's life is uh, is morally relevant, um, which is the exact thing that is under debate between you know, the people on the two sides of the abortion issue. Um, or conversely, I would say that the argument abortion should be legal because it's a woman's right to choose is also begging the question because that argument presupposes that that abortion doesn't involve taking a morally relevant life. Um, that is, we don't say it's a woman's right to choose whether to kill her five-year-old son, right? So if you're going to use that argument about a fetus, then you are presupposing that there is a relevant difference between killing a fetus and killing a five-year-old, which is exactly what's under debate.
0: This is one of those things that comes up a lot, in, especially in... Um ideological arguments like, uh, God's word is infallible. Mm -hmm, Why, why why is that? Because the Bible tells us it is, (laughs) which is a perfectly circular argument.
3: Right. And, and the, the, the difficult thing about spotting it in the wild is that, you know, not the, the, the premises are not always explicitly stated. Sometimes they're just implied. They just have to be true in order for the premise to be true. You know,
0: this for me, um, since I, like, I'm really into, Trying, I I love to read about what are the possible, well, the speculations behind the origins of certain uh, behaviors and the origins of certain things that people do. And that's, uh, since that's like one of the things I like to read about, and even though I know that it's all speculation, I often find that people will explain like in a scientific article or even just in a comment thread, they'll say something like, um, like people find symmetrical faces beautiful because we have a biological drive to desire (laughs) symmetry, and you know, th- I see that as like an, like as always how it's explained. Yeah. Or, yeah. Like, like, why do people like butts? Well, people like butts because we have a biological drive to like the shape of butts. Like, you're you're just saying the same <laughs> thing twice, right? Like, just because yeah, we like it. <laughs> you know why? Do, why yeah, I see that. But then, our, then, but our, then, you're, our, then you're lucky when, when, when someone does that.
3: You're lucky because it, it's just a restatement of of the conclusion, right? Um, right. The drinking right. age should be lower because the drinking age is too high <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. right you know so yeah, that,
0: yeah. and then but you, you know but i've also you'll also see it straight up like cigarettes like cigarettes cause cancer because uh they are carcinogens you know that's there so that that's sort of one where you um you've got the uh, varying levels of um of of definitions they're just like um one being the layman term and one being the slightly more scientific term. So there's lots Mm -hmm. of ways that this can happen.
1: Yeah, I think also I've seen this if you're in the business of the internet uh, or in the business in reporting on the business of the internet. Mm -hmm. I say this a lot where people will say, for example, on YouTube, there is – The most popular channel there is a guy called PewDiePie, who's a Mm -hmm. Swedish gamer. And I don't even know how many millions of subscribers he has anymore because it just is increasing every single day. But I would say over 30 million people in the world subscribe to his channel. And he does let's play videos. So he will sit down and play a video game and you'll see his face on screen. He'll kind of like commentate through the experience. He was one of the first people to actually put himself on screen doing that which is how he found huge success anyway when the media reports on this they will say that you know uh, this guy is a social media innovator because he is the most popular channel on youtube okay but they never explain why it's like this guy is the best at what he does because he is the most popular but yeah. there, I mean, there are reasons, like, right. I'm not saying he's he's not the best, but just by saying that somebody is fantastic because they are the most popular is a circular argument.
0: You know, PewDiePie, I just looked it up while you were saying that, because I was uh-huh. like, really? And uh, <laughs> he, has, he has 43 million subscribers in a total of 11 billion views.
1: Oh, that's but, crazy.
0: Yeah. By comparison, like the highest rated TV moment of all time aside from like the moon landing was um, when uh, was mash the last episode of mash in the United States, 83 million people tuned in for that. So wow! to, to imagine that PewDiePie has half of that audience for every one of his videos is yeah. bonkers. It's bonkers.
1: It is and I think a lot of social media is like that when you consider that individuals have 30 million followers on Instagram and things like that the media goes crazy for it and people have interviewed me before as a YouTuber and I, I try to tell them the background that I have and the degrees that I've studied and the hard work that I did to get to that point but all mm-hmm. they want to report about is your numbers and say that you're oh, yeah. some kind of media rock star because of this number and mm-hmm. it just doesn't make sense like there is no reason behind that that people are reporting on so I I think in in that industry people just get excited by numbers and they're like wow this guy could reach half the audience of the mash finale like (laughs) he's he is great and and that they can't get past that because it seems so shocking
0: So, how do you avoid committing this very easy to commit, this very common logical fallacy? Um, well, it's it's a it's a matter of having a a
3: good handle on your assumptions, I guess. Um, and it, it it can be really hard to to, to take all of your assumptions um, that you're bringing Jenny given discussion and and have them in mind when you're making an argument Um, if you didn't use some of these assumptions sometimes as as shortcuts and had to explicitly state all of your premises uh you you might not actually ever get around to saying anything um so yeah just being aware of your assumptions to the best of your ability is is what i would say
0: this is a this is such a great fallacy because i feel like this really gets at the heart of what what makes knowing about these things useful and that you know you I make these kind of. I've made these kind of arguments. I make these kind of arguments all the time, where basically I'm saying that's bad because it's bad, or that's good because it's good, and I'm hoping that you accept my definitions of those terms. And and, and it's so easy to. Um, I think it's, this is one of the most e- easy ones to commit. Uh, um, what what is your advice on how to, we can get better at, at going up? Ah, that's begging the question.
2: So I would say one way to spot question begging is to, to use this tool that people sometimes call tabooing your words, um, which means it's a reference to the game Taboo, where you have to get your partner to guess the word uh, that's on your card, but you aren't allowed to say a bunch of other uh, sim- like similar words to it. So if you want them to guess sleep, you can't say dream or bed or pillow or snooze or anything like that. So you have to be more creative. Um, and I think sometimes question begging or other kinds of circular reasoning can be more apparent if you aren't allowed to to use, like you aren't allowed to use the word abortion or something. So if you you know had to make that argument without the word abortion, you, you might say something like, well, um, uh, taking the life of a fetus is wrong because it's taking an innocent life. That starts to make it clearer, you know, that that's a circular argument or at least that you haven't Uh fully articulated all the premises behind your argument yet.
0: Yeah. Well, that's really great. I've never heard that term before tabooing the words. That's a great uh, suggestion. I like that.
2: Yeah. And I, I mean, I think I was just in my explanation, I was talking as if you could use that on yourself, which I think you can, but you can also use it in a, in a, you know, discussion with someone else. If, you know, assuming there's at least a little bit of good faith or trust, you can say, look, I feel like we might be going in circles. Let's try tabooing the word abortion. And, you know, try to get back to what our disagreement is actually about.
1: Yeah, it is hard to avoid because I feel like this is something that we all commit from time to time. I think it helps if you start with something that is known and let that lead you to a conclusion that may be unknown Mm. rather than just starting with something that is known and then leading to something that is known just as well. Mm -hmm. So you kind of follow a journey from the known to the unknown, like Mm -hmm. how you should properly write a scientific paper or do or do a piece of research
0: Mm -hmm. and and this is definitely something that you're going to uh when you're having an actual argument with someone this is going to actually come up and people Mm -hmm. are going to this is going to happen sometimes when the stakes are high oftentimes when the stakes are low how do we defend against it um okay um i don't know if this would work
3: but what the hell (laughs) tell your opponent Now pay attention to this argument and I'm going to do something and I want you to tell me what's wrong with it, right? Uh, Then you restate your own argument in such a way that your premise and conclusion are are the same. And then when they call you on it, you say yes, which they will see as a strategic concession. And then you go in for the intellectual body slam, which is this is exactly what you're doing, (laughs) That's good. I like
0: that. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: yeah, I think it's it's probably easy to see when other people are doing it because people will give you reasons that are not reasons when you think about it, like they're just trying to pass off something as a reason. Mm-hmm. So I think at a at the most basic level you should, if you, if you notice it, point out that there is no difference between the premise and the conclusion.
0: Okay. Very politely.
2: Yes, very politely. <laughs> So, assuming that the person you're arguing with is uh, arguing in good faith—that is, they're they're making arguments that they at least consciously believe to be true, um, and they're at least somewhat interested in uh, in in believing true things about this issue—they're um, they're not actively lying to you. Um, and you want to, you have some motivation to try to have a productive discussion about this uh, issue. If those two conditions are met, which I think they often aren't, then I would say just try to really focus on what your partner's true objection is. You know, so if the person is saying abortion is wrong because it's murder, that is begging the question. But I don't think the next, the best step next is to point out that it's begging the question. I would instead just try to hone in on the crux of their belief that abortion is wrong. Um, which might be something around their beliefs about what are the criteria that make a life morally relevant? Like, is it the ability to survive outside the womb? That kind of thing. Um, so basically, the, I'm advocating a more collaborative approach to disagreement where uh, you're, you're both working together to try to articulate what the structure of your beliefs are, um, which is not an easy thing to do, which is why people end up begging the question.
0: That's so good. You know, this is, uh, I, I'm noticing a thread in some of your advice here, and it's really, mm-hmm. it's actually, and you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like being really good uh, and being very well versed at argumentation, especially when it comes to logical fallacies, it, um, I think that there's an inclination to then um, go, haha, I know about logical fallacies, and here's this fallacy, and you're doing a fallacy, and you don't even yeah. know what fallacies are. You're just a dumb not fallacy understanding. Fallacy person.
2: maker. Right. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> not fallacy person. I like that
0: better. And, uh, and it's like, it, it seems such like, I feel like your what some of your advice here all seems to say, just because you know that that's a, a fallacy doesn't mean that you even have to even approach that part of the topic. Cause you can, it, 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 there's a way to, um, to sort of massage the conversation that, is, um, uh, that doesn't make you into a pretentious douchebag. And <laughs> so, the, uh, um, um, I, I feel mean, like that's what you're sort of suggesting. Yeah.
2: That That's part of what I'm suggesting that it's not nice. Um, but I'm also pointing out that it's, it's not productive. Um, in the sense of like, I think it's easy to lose sight of the question. What are my goals in this discussion? Um, and pointing out what fallacy someone is committing is, in with rare exceptions it is not actually helping with any goals whether that goal is changing their mind or whether that goal is is understanding their point of view or or learning something yourself or or anything um it's just kind of a reflexive thing that we we find it tempting to do um but you know for almost any goal that you could reasonably have in a disagreement with someone pointing out particular fallacies and giving them names is not really going to help with that goal
0: Bob Blaskowitz is an assistant professor of critical thinking at Stockton University and very active in the skeptic community. You can find him in places like virtualskeptics.com, skepticalhumanities.com, and the Skepticality Podcast. Julia Galef is the president and co-founder of the Center for Applied Rationality, and she hosts the Rationally Speaking Podcast, in addition to making YouTube videos, lecturing, and writing for a number of publications you've probably heard of. You can find her at juliagaleff.com. Vanessa Hill is a science educator and writer and stop-motion animator who hosts BrainCraft, which you can find on YouTube as part of PBS Digital Studios, where she teaches psychology and neuroscience through crafty, interesting videos. Her website is nessihill.com. I'll have links to all other stuff at smart.com and the show notes. If you are enjoying these shows and would like to get them and all of the other You Are Not So Smart episodes ad-free, no commercials, and get them early and get extra content like unaired interviews and unedited interviews and more, just go to patreon.com slash you are not so smart and become a patron. For just $1 a month, you can get the show ad-free, $3 a month, and you get all the extras. details at patreon and you Up next, one short commercial, and then a cookie. As you know, I am a big fan of The Great Courses. That's why I'm excited to tell you about their new video learning service, The Great Courses Plus. You can learn about anything and everything with unlimited access to The Great Courses lecture series on hundreds of topics taught by top professors. I really want you to try The Great Courses Plus so they're giving my listeners a special chance to watch their popular course, How to Play Chess. And hundreds of other courses absolutely free. How to play chess lessons from an international master taught by renowned chess teacher Jeremy Silman. It is an amazing course. Chess is considered more than just a game, it's a science, it's an art, it's based on skill, tactics, and intellect. And this course provides a deeper understanding of the game with tools to become a better thinker on top of a better chess player, helping you become more confident when approaching the game or any strategic thinking match. With The Great Courses Plus, watch as many different lectures as you want, anytime, anywhere. And now, The Great Courses Plus is offering my listeners a chance to stream hundreds of their courses, including How to Play Chess, a $235 value. For free, for free, for nothing, when you go to com slash smart. Get smart for free. Try it out. You will love it. Is, is This is such a great... How, how can you get better than free? Go to com slash smart. And now we return to our program. C. cookie starts with c let's think of other things that starts with c uh, uh, who cares about other things c. on each episode of the you are not so c. smart c. podcast c. i eat a cookie c. C. baked from a recipe c. C. sent in by a listener or a reader and if we pick your recipe if the recipe you sent in to us by email to david at you are not so smart.com if we pick that co- cookie recipe mandy cooks it Amanda McCraney that's my wife if she cooks the cookie that we pick we will send you a signed copy of either you are not so smart or you are now less dumb both of those books are uh well the books that the whole podcast was based off of so you send us a recipe we pick it you get a you get a signed copy of the book this episode the cookie recipe comes from Nimi or Nimi. I have it here in front of me N I M I uh, this person did not include a last name, but in the email, Nimi writes, and this is from two years ago, yes, that is how far back the backlog has gotten. That's not to say that if you send a cookie in tomorrow that we won't make it in the next episode. It's it's sort of a, we just sort of pick and choose all over the place what we're going to do in each episode. But this episode comes from two years ago. Nimi writes, I am a big fan of the You Are Not So Smart podcast. The recent episode on Blind Insight was really interesting, and I look forward to many more episodes in the future. May I submit a cookie recipe? Yes, of course. And this is uh, signed off. The salutation, salutation is thank you for all the creativity and inspiration. Sincerely, Nimi. And Nimi sent in coconut slice and bake cookies, and they are gorgeous. They look like little hamburger patties, except they're made of coconut, toasted coconut on the top, and on the bottom, and a ring of coconut around the sides, and they're small little, um, little coconut patties. They have very simple ingredients. I can hardly speak to you because my mouth is watering. Uh, they're just butter, sugar, flour, and coconut, but, uh, you can also put red or green food coloring on these to make them festive Christmas cookies, which begs the question, why are we making these now in this episode so far from Christmas? Well, First of all, that's not the correct use of begging the question. And secondly, because we wanted to make something simple and delicious after all of the really crazy cookies that we've been making. And this one we've been holding on to for so long. Oh boy, I cannot wait to try it. Here we go. <clears throat> Coconut slice and bake cookies. Mm-hmm. Whoa mm, 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 mm. mm. oh ma'am that is too good. that's so that is that is craziness that is look into the uh that is the end of two thousand one crazy that is so good I see the infinite ah oh, that is great it is it's not so indulgent that it's um that you think you can't have more than one of these. And it's not so simple that it's like an animal cracker or something where you feel like you're not even really eating food. It is perfect cookitude, perfect cookiness. Uh, the outside is toasted coconut and it's uh, almost crunchy, and the inside is soft and mushy and chewy and so cookie. Uh, and it tastes like coconut through and through, like the like someone um, boiled down the essence of coconut into pure bliss. It's too good. This cookie is so good that if I thought that I could never have another one of these, I would curse this moment in my life for tasting something so fantastic that I could never have again. Ah, it's that good. This is not just a good cookie. This might be one of the best things I've ever eaten of any kind whatsoever. I cannot, I cannot recommend this enough. The recipe will be at youarenotsosmart.com. Nimmy. Nimi, Thank you so much. Wow. Mm, mm. <laughs> That's a 10 Um <laughs> a book is on its way,
2: itchy knee ichi, San Chi.
0: That is it for this episode of the You Are Not So Smart podcast. The opening music was Clash by Caravan Palace, and the rest of the music was by Banjo-pocalypse. That's one word, apocalypse, but with banjo at the beginning. Banjo-pocalypse. That was the rest of the music for this episode, even this music right now. And thanks again to the MIT Press for sponsoring today's episode. Don't forget to go to mitpress.com slash smart to check out their newest books in science, philosophy, technology, language, and art, among other areas. And definitely keep an eye out for Mark Whitman's book, Felt Time, The Psychology of How We Perceive Time. Go to mitpress.com slash smart to read more about it. Go to boingboingpodcasts.com for more great podcasts like this one. So many beautiful podcasts there that I want you to listen to. They sort of relaunched the whole network, and I'm very proud of it. Check it out, boingboingpodcast.com. Everything else is at you are not so smart.com. All the previous episodes are on iTunes and Stitcher and SoundCloud. And um, more episodes coming up soon about logical fallacies. All Mmm. Right. I'm going to have more of those cookies.